we can always invite our neighbors over, you know, for lemonade. We can always pay for someone's drink at a Starbucks. We can always find a place to volunteer in our neighborhood. We can help build community at a local school or a local church or synagogue or meditation place or yoga studio. Everyone can be a part of very small efforts toward bringing people together. And that's a great place to start. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life. And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. I'm so excited because Rain Wilson is back today on the podcast and he's so sweet and he's so kind and he has so many amazing insights. So I really cannot wait to dive into today's episode. Uh, real quick before we dive in, I just want to let you know that I am hosting a free five day workshop on manifesting your most abundant life. And I have a feeling you're going to love this and you're not going to want to miss it and it's free. So if you want to join me, go to kathyheller.com slash abundant and you can sign up You can get your seat. It's going to be packed with so much and you're going to see within days of being in this workshop, how many synchronicities just start to unfold in your life. It is going to be truly a revelation. I cannot wait. So you can go to kathyheller.com slash abundant to grab your seat for the five-day free workshop, which begins May 8th. All right. Well, today, like I said, Rain Wilson is here and he is such a fantastic human being. He's an Emmy-nominated actor, New York Times bestselling author, writer and producer, podcaster, and co-founder of the media company Soul Pancake, which has made some of the most beautiful, heartfelt videos you're ever going to see. You've probably seen Rain Wilson starring on the show The Office in his legendary role as Dwight Schrute. He was also on Six Feet Under. He was in the movie Almost Famous, Full Frontal, Mom, Weird, The Al Yankovic Story, Juno and many other things. He was here a couple of years ago with his podcast co-host Reza Azalon to talk about their fun show, Metaphysical Milkshake. And he is back today to talk about his incredible new book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. It's an exploration into how spirituality can help us create solutions for an increasingly challenging world and find possibility and hope for a spiritual revolution, a soul boom, if you will. This is how we can start a healing on both a personal and global level. It just came out this week, so you can all go get your copy wherever books are sold. You're going to definitely want to read it because it's so good and it's so aligned with everything we talk about here. Rain is such a good soul. I love that he has this deep connection with his spiritual side. We probably could have talked for hours and hours. It was just so much fun to be with him. He's so humble, and today he shares some of the harder moments in his journey, and I really appreciate that he shared what was actually happening behind the scenes for him. You're going to love this. Without further ado, please welcome the spectacular Rain Wilson. 
So Rain Wilson, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for comparing me to a chocolate chip cookie. I did. I told Rain that he was like, just coming home at the end of a day and you've been looking forward to eating the most delicious chocolate chip cookie that makes you feel like the best parts of life. Like who you are, let me just do this. Who you are is the kind of person who when people are around you or aware of you or consuming anything you put out, they remember their favorite part of like being a kid, their favorite part of what life is really about, their favorite part of the things that easily make them smile. And they stop being so serious in their pursuit of trying to be more enough. And they just feel like they can be. That's why I compared you to a cookie. Can I come on your podcast every week? Please do. Because I, my self-esteem needs this. I need a little like blast of Kathy Heller. You're just a little elf. You're like a sprite that went around the world and keeps going. And just you just give this confetti of like, hey, you're okay. I'm a... I am a big, awkward elf, though, Kathy. I'm a 6'2", 220 elf. So A 6'2", elf, yeah. Well, it's kind of like the movie Elf, how funny that was, that he was so giant. Um, All right, well, you you went ahead and wrote another book, and this one is coming out soon. It's called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And I'm so excited that you did this because it tells the truth, Rain, of everything I just said that you are communicating all the time, it's, it tells us where it's coming from. So let's talk about your own soul boom. Yeah. And then why you want to hopefully usher that into the world for everybody else. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be on your show. I love what you do on your show and the guidance that you give, the inspiration that you give your listeners. And, you know, you show a path filled with hope. And that's what the world needs right now. The world needs exactly what you're providing. So thank you for that. Thank you. So I'm going to just write back at you with the compliments. I love you. Oh, gosh. So I guess, you know, in the first chapter, I tackle why in the world is the guy who played Dwight on The Office writing a book about spirituality? And I dig right into that. Fair question. Fair. And it it is a fair question that probably a lot of listeners right now are like, huh? The paper salesman beat farmer? What does he have to say about... God and the soul and consciousness and death and personal and social transformation. But this has been a pursuit of mine, an interest of mine for many, many decades. And I want to go back and just say, how did this kind of soul boom idea come about? Which is, I want to quote Julia Cameron, the author of the- She was just here for the second time. No kidding. I adore her. She's amazing. I don't, I've never met her, spoken to her, but I love her. Oh, I'm hooking that up. I quote her every single day when I, when I do an interview or I talk about the book because she has the most amazing quote, which is, I came to spirituality out of necessity, not out of virtue. Why I love that is because this is how this interest started for me. So back in the nineties, I was out of acting school. I was in New York City trying to be an actor and I was very, very depressed. And I really struggled with anxiety. I would have just terrible anxiety attacks that would leave me on the floor quivering and sweating. No no exaggeration. I would get them oftentimes in the subway, which was just the worst. It is the worst. I would just sweat would be pouring down my face and I'd be like shaking. People thought I was like a junkie on the subway. And I started going into therapy. I was having a lot of addiction issues. I was in way too deep with drugs and alcohol, all kinds of ways to try and medicate my anxiety. And having grown up a member of the Baha'i faith, which my parents were, and Baha'is being so inclusive in terms of allowing for so many different spiritual philosophies, like we would read the Buddha and we would read the Bhagavad Gita and we would read the Bible and learn from all of these religious texts. I thought there in my short time as an atheist in New York City being an artist, that maybe I needed a spiritual solution to what I was going through. I was in therapy, but I was really lost. I was very lonely. I was incredibly unhappy. And something was just completely out of balance. And that started me on a very long, decades-long spiritual journey. And I started by reading many of the holy books of the world, going to different religious gatherings. And 
started really doing a deep dive and a, an internal journey into myself about what did I believe, separate from my parents and how I was raised. Did I believe in a God? Do I believe in spirituality? Do I believe in a soul or something that is, you know, beyond time and space and this corporal experience that we're having? So this led me to a deep curiosity around all things spiritual. I read a lot, studied a lot, thought about it a lot. It has greatly impacted my life. My spiritual journey has made my life richer, better, deeper, more inclusive, more loving, and I'm grateful for it. And so I just wanted to put it all down into book form. It's so beautiful. And thank you so much for being so generous and so vulnerable to share that piece. And I think that that's so relatable to so many people. I think the secret we all think we have is that we all have the same secret, which is that sometimes we get really anxious and we don't know how mm -hmm. to find our way home. And then we think there's no way someone like you would have that because we just look at your shiny things. And so it's really cool that you let everybody in on that. And I love that not only did your parents sort of provide the beginning of this story with the Baha'i traditions and this, that's inclusivity is so beautiful. And um, I love that you started to ask those big questions, like, could there be a spiritual answer for this suffering? Mm. And so mm. I know that you gave us a little bit of an arc of that story, but let's go deeper. Okay. Since you started to experience different kinds of wisdom traditions and understanding, what was like the control alt delete on the program? What was the beginning? Which door did you enter? Which experience? Which piece was one of the first dominoes that really fell that allowed you to go, Oh, this feels like peace. This feels like equanimity. This feels like something I can really hold on to. Yeah. That's a beautiful question and it's really important. And I'm going to give an answer that might surprise you and the listeners. And that is that a transformation happened inside of me when I started studying Native American spiritual traditions, especially Black Elk Speaks. And there's a book called The Gospel of the Red Man, which sounds kind of racist in its title, but it actually has an incredible amount of wisdom in it. And this idea of the Lakota Sioux about God, who is called Wakantanka, which basically translates to the great mystery was revelatory Beautiful. for me. I really struggled with God and I struggled to get away from this kind of very Western conception of some kind of patriarchal God, an old man, right. male, judgmental, up on a cloud, bearded, deciding who's naughty and nice, like some kind of like cosmic Santa yeah. Claus. Yeah. And even though I knew that that couldn't be God, it still, it seeps into our consciousness so much. Sure. And it's something that we really need to, I think, culturally obliterate. Because I don't even think remotely that that's the God the Bible is talking about no. either. But when I started researching Wakantanka in the native traditions of the Lakota Sioux, it was a God that was so not so the previous God is anthropomorphized, right? So it's, we put human qualities onto it and make him almost like a Marvel superhero with yeah. a lot of like superpowers, but it's like Thor. It's some like person. It's personified. In the native traditions, there's no human quality to the great spirit. It is beyond time and space and it is really centrally based in nature. And it is the God of the seven directions, north, south, east, and west up, down, and the seventh direction, inward, turned Love inward that. into the heart. It's the God of our ancestors. It's the God that's blooming in the spring right now outside of my window as yeah. Los Angeles is blooming after those incredible rains we received. And it's in the wind and it's in the sun. This God is reflected back to us in so many different facets of nature. And when I started to kind of incorporate I remember saying to friends, like, I don't believe in God, but I believe in Wakantanka. <laughs> that opened things up for me. Like, okay, I'm allowed to believe in a cosmic source, a divine creative power in the universe that is beyond time and space. And I don't have to latch on to any, you know, pre-defined yeah. kind of 
daddy god in the book i call him sky daddy i don't have to <laughs> ascribe to any kind of sky daddy viewpoint of god and that set me on my journey and that freed me up and it's very much in alignment with the 12 step programs of which i'm in in recovery of like finding the god of your own definition yeah. like how do you define yeah. god you know yeah. and that opened up numerous paths for me yeah i so relate to that when i was in college i grew up in florida went to florida state as a bfa acting major and oh. was so, I know, and then I never, ever, ever did anything with acting. And, but I, my parents had just gone through this like horrible divorce. And all I wanted was actually to understand existentially why we grow up to be really unhappy adults. Like, what's the point? Mm. So I became a world religion major and I started oh. like peering into like Jainism and Taoism and Christianity and Judaism and Islam and trying to find all the, you know, and I actually wrote this senior paper about Siddhartha and Moses, who both grew up as a prince in a royal family, and right. then left that princely material world for a very spiritual nomadic sort of world, and then kind of moved people to a middle place. And then I took this trip to Jerusalem, which was supposed to be for the summer, like, oh, it's a cool thing to do, go to Jerusalem for the summer. And I stayed for three years, and I studied Kabbalah with this beautiful rabbi and his family in the old city of King David's Jerusalem. And he said to me, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. And it was mm -hmm. the exact God you're talking about. And he said, that's not God. He said, he said, let me see if I can explain it. He said, if God was like the sun, you'd be a ray of that sun. He said, you're a masterpiece because you're a piece of the master. You're someone because you're some of the one. And that freed mm -hmm. me. Same mm -hmm. like you. I was like, oh, that makes sense, right? And there's what we see with our eyes, which is an illusion. And then it's how much further we see with our eyes closed, which is where we feel connected, right? Which is where you and me really meet in our essence and our energy and our vibration. And there's that one field, that infinite consciousness. And I love that you wrote a whole book about how everybody can find access to that because we can. And it didn't stop you from having other things on your plate like getting to have this really fun experience as an actor at the same time. Like, yeah. I think we're so into putting things in categories. Like, well, if I'm a mm. spiritual person, then I need to live in this way where I don't engage in the world in a silly way or in a create. It's like, no, like you get to have as your podcast was, you know, metaphysical milkshake. It's a milkshake of all these fun things, which are all in alignment with you being, just playful in this big, wide open, conscious field, right? Just having a blast. Yeah. That's so well said. And what it sparks in me is a Baha'i belief, which is that the making of art and the act of devotion or prayer are the same. Mm, that's and so beautiful. I kind of came to that realization partway through filming The Office, which is I felt bifurcated. I felt like, well, I have all these spiritual beliefs and this path and this field of study. And then here I am doing this silly sitcom, you know, wearing a polyester suit and bumping into walls and acting like an idiot. And how so much joy. You gave so much joy for God's well, sakes. Well, that's part of it. That certainly is part of it because the making of art can and should give people joy, pause, inspiration, uplift, entertainment, beauty, you know, but that emulation of the divine that you're talking about, that the rabbi was speaking to you of, there's an empty page and then there's a poem on it. There's an empty canvas and then there's a painting. There's an empty stage, then there's a play. There's an empty concert hall and then there's beautiful music. And in our case, there's an empty TV screen and then there's the TV show, The Office. And I don't want to get all precious and like, oh, we were God's actors on television. I mean, we were doing we a TV are. show where they were trying to sell Toyotas and Dr. Scholl's foot inserts and <laughs> toothpaste, you know, on a TV show or for commerce. But we were one of the few shows that were really allowed to make something artistic and lasting and beautiful. And the number of times I've heard from people that, you know, oh, my parents were going through a divorce and the office brought me so much joy and laughter or my sister was sick with cancer and we would gather and we would watch the office together or... I've been struggling with anxiety and depression and we were able to laugh at the office. Like I see that there is a divine work in the creation of art 
It's emulating that divine impulse. It's bringing joy, like you say, to people and inspiration and uplift, which is a service to others. And there's something really mysterious about the creation of art and for all the artists out there. And you don't have to be a professional artist. It's that spark of transcendence of yeah. making something beautiful and funny and good and lasting and meaningful. Yeah. I'm so blessed that I get to do both of these things. And you do them so well. And I think it's really palpable that once in a generation, sometimes something comes along and the essence of it is so genuine. And Brian was here, Baumgartner, and he mm -hmm. said that Greg Daniels and him were walking and he was trying to explain to him what this is, what the office will be. And they were walking through a parking lot and he goes, you see that? And in the little concrete parking lot, there was like a little sprout of green, you know, like a weed or something had like grown in between the cracks of the concrete. He goes, that's yeah. the office. That's what I'm trying to do. Oh, that's great. And Brian was like, oh, and he goes, I'm just trying to find the extraordinary and like ordinary things. And that's like the last line of the office, right? Like, why did you make a documentary about Dunder Mifflin? It's like, isn't right. it just that it's the most ordinary things that are so beautiful? And I think that's why it pulls at everyone's heart. Like there's something very singular mm. about the cast, about the intention of the creation of it mm. and how it was played. And mm. um, it's not surprising that mm. you have all of this background and depth because everyone felt for 30 minutes when they watched it, like they could actually find something that felt like goodness and friendship and peace mm. in a world where that's not often given out. So thank you that's for so well doing said. that. Thank yeah. you for being a part of such an ensemble gift. So for people who are listening right now, you know, and they're, they're leaning in, how do we find our way to this every day? How do you find your way to access this Wi-Fi, this signal, this beauty? in your day-to-day -day life? What can people maybe think about doing to find it? Yeah, that's really the question, isn't it? And it's a tough one to answer. It's a multi-layered question. Let me start by talking about television. So sorry to pull it back to my book, but because my book contains all of the ideas that have been popcorning around in my head for a couple of decades, I want to talk about two of my favorite television shows from the 70s. And hopefully I can stick the landing and, and pull all of this together. <laughs> but two of my favorite shows from the 70s, because I'm old, were Kung Fu and Star Trek. So Kung Fu, for those who don't know, because it's not on very much on reruns, is about Kwai Chang Kane, who's a Shaolin monk who is forced out of his monastery and he goes to the Old West, you know, in the 1880s, looking for his half-brother. So here you have this Kung Fu master a wise Buddhist Taoist monk amidst the racist materialist kind of cowboys and violence of the old West. And of course there's a couple of ass kicking scenes in every episode, but it really is more about Kwai Chang Kane's struggles, his sharing of his wisdom with others, his overcoming his own worst impulses and having great compassion for humanity in its really kind of like, grossest stage of the cowboy era. So also Star Trek is about humanity. So it's about we're boldly going where no man has been before to seek out strange new worlds and new life and new civilizations, etc. But back on planet Earth, we have solved all of the great spiritual problems of the day. There's no more racism. There's no more materialism. Oh War has been obliterated. There's even conflict has been kind of wiped out. Humanity is, has been allowed to evolve to its next phase. Now, Roddenberry never spoke about religion, but to me, it's very spiritual and very necessary to think about, you know, where we could head as a species. So I use these two shows as an analogy for this one spiritual journey. And so really the question you asked me is about and I, I would call it this twofold kind of moral path that we have. We have a path that we walk individually. Every morning, Kathy Heller gets up. She's like, I've got to make a podcast. I'm going to have a workshop. I'm going to write an article. I'm going to connect with fans. I'm going to run my business affairs. 
But at the same time, I want to bring light and love and positivity. I want to work on some of the character defects that are in me. Maybe I'm got problems with being impatient or maybe I'm too hard on myself. So you're on your spiritual path. I'm on my spiritual path daily to try and make myself a better person with more of the qualities of the divine. I loved what that rabbi said that you quoted about like having a, a ray of light of the sun where a piece of the sun is in us and we're a piece of the larger whole. And so that's our one path. And then our other path is to try and make the world a better place, which I'm going to stop uh, praising you here in a second, but what you do in your podcast, you bring people together and you Thank tell you. warm, wonderful, inspiring stories that help people's lives move forward. And this is your way of kind of giving back to the world. And we all can do that. And whether we're a homemaker, whether we're an accountant, whether we're a professional dog walker, whatever it is, we can always try and make the world a better place, bring healing, light, love, connection. So we're on these two paths, right? But I think one thing that's really important in, in your question is these two paths feed each other. And sometimes we're focused on one and not the other. Yeah. Sometimes we're just focused on helping others and we're not taking care of ourselves, right? And yeah. sometimes we focus so much on our self-care and taking care of ourselves, but we're not concerned with like uplifting others and serving others like Jesus did, like the Buddha did, that we're losing something in that. We have to be giving to others and trying to build community and serving others. And we're fed by that. And that feeds our own personal spiritual journey. There's a yin and a yang between those two paths working in conjunction. So it's super important for all of us who care about having some kind of spiritual journey in our lives that, that we're interacting on both of those things. So yeah. I'll just finish up and say, for me, I have daily prayer and meditation practice. Sometimes I only have time for 10 minutes, usually 15 or 20 minutes. It can be, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could just be saying a couple prayers, speaking from my heart. And then just sitting and being in, in quiet and stillness and silence and being open to whatever answers might come. And I do this to help align me with the great spirit of the universe. It also just grounds me, practically speaking. It doesn't make me a saint. It doesn't make me a guru by doing it. It just helps me get through my day. And I'm grumpy and I'm weird and I'm impatient and I'm flawed and I struggle. And it's a tool that I use on a daily basis. So I think going back to your original question, that's one place that we can all start. And it sounds yeah. really obvious and really simple, but very few people really take the time to do that on a daily basis. And it's crucial. It's so beautiful. I love everything that you said. You know, I think about your own journey and how very often people will send me emails or send me DMs and the matrix that they're in is outsourcing their feeling of well-being. Like this is a very common matrix is like, if I have success, I'll feel whole. If I have others, people's love, I'll feel good if I write. And what you're talking about is grounding your day in connecting to a feeling of peace right here, right? Without mm -hmm. needing, but what can be a blessing and a challenge is once you've had quote unquote, lots of success, and you've had a lot of external validation, that can be a real trip to not get caught in mm -hmm. feeling as though in order to sustain your feeling of well-being, you have to keep that going. And it's especially hard after being part of something that's so successful. How do you deal with that? How do you not get caught up in that? Because I watch how generous you are, how many things you make in the world that are really rich they're rich because you're just giving and happy and writing books like this. So it, it seems as if you're, you're figuring that out. But for people who are listening, who are still really unconscious and very much caught up in, I need to have a level of success. I need to have a level of validation in order to feel peace. What have you learned about how to unhook from that? Because I think so many people are in that matrix. Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's such an important topic. Some of the unhappiest years of my life were during the years of my greatest career success. So I had been 
a theater actor in New York for nine years. I never made over 20 grand in a year working in the theater. So I would wait tables and I had a moving van and I had all these crazy odd jobs. And then I came to LA and I started getting a little bit of work here and there. And then I was lucky to get on the show Six Feet Under. And then I got on The Office. And then The Office was almost canceled like five different times. And we, mm. it just barely hung on by a fingernail. And then and then it exploded in like 2006, 2007. And all of a sudden became a top 10 show. We were all being pursued for movies and development deals. And I hosted Saturday Night Live. And so I had been this barely employed struggling actor for so long. And then all of a sudden I was thrust into this spotlight Wow! and the pressures were enormous. And I wasn't terribly spiritually grounded at the time. And so I got caught up in envy and comparison and I need to get this movie and I need to make this money. And how come this wasn't offered to me and it was offered to that person. And I just, I bought it. I drank the Hollywood Kool-Aid and I was miserable and I was miserable to be with. You can ask my wife. I was a jerk for many years in there. And I'm really grateful that I was able to get some really good therapy and that I had my 12 step recovery program and, you know, and fellows in that program. And I was able to use certain spiritual tools and, and get out of it. And, that really battered me for a couple of years, but it's, it's so funny because I would imagine people looking from the outside, like, Oh, look at this guy. All of a sudden he went from obscurity to fame and he went from like being nearly broke to having tons of money. And it must have been amazing. And it was a real struggle. It was some of the, the darkest, most difficult times of my life. It's kind of a cliche. It's kind of like, remember that show behind the music on VH1 back yeah. in the day where they would show every band had the exact same story. We toiled away in obscurity for the love of it. Then all of a sudden we became really famous and everything blew up and it wasn't that bad. I mean, I wasn't, you know, rife with debauchery, but at the same time it was, it was hard. And so I'm just so grateful that I had enough spiritual tools and foundation in place to allow me to get through that. And it's the central spiritual battle that we all have, which is the ego. You know, the yeah. son of the founder of the Baha'i faith was a great spiritual teacher whose name, his name was Abdul Baha. And he visited America actually about a hundred years ago. He came over from Persia and from the Middle East. And someone, a journalist asked him, do Baha'is believe in Satan? And Abdul Baha said, yes, but to the Baha'i, Satan is the insistent self. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase, the insistent self. It's the ego, you know? And whether you're looking in the, the Bhagavad Gita or the Vedas, whether you're looking in the writings of the Buddha or in the Bible, you know, that self and passion, that selfishness, that ego, nine times out of 10, that is our biggest obstacle in life and our biggest spiritual battle. 100%. Wow. That's a. Uh again, extremely like generous and vulnerable that you would share that, but it is that story from behind the music. It really is. And another great line from my rabbi, he said this to me recently. I said, what is it with this ego? I just, I've been doing meditation since 2007 and it's just like, come on already. You know, I want to be free. And he said, no, he said, think about it. Without the Joker, Batman is not Batman. Like that part of you mm. is hoping it's working still on behalf of this great one source, hoping you're going to look it in the face and say no, that you're going to jump higher, right? Like everything you put in the sun has a shadow, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we all have that insistent self, but it's amazing, isn't it? Because as Esther Hicks said, we didn't come to this world for a pile of things. We have way bigger dreams than that. We want a mm -hmm. better feeling thought. We want a higher state of being. You want an elevated vibration. That's all you want. You don't want stuff. That's what you think you want. Right. Good luck with that, right? So yeah, you got a lot of stuff, a lot of fame, a lot of, right? But all the joy you really had was in hanging out with your friends on set. And then when you start thinking it's about all the outside stuff, yeah, that is a hell realm because you're never satisfied because it's mm -hmm. always more. And uh it takes a lot 
It really takes a lot. It says in the Talmud, what's a bigger test, being poor or being wealthy? It says for sure being wealthy. Mm. Because to be able to still find peace and know where your riches come from is harder. And so you went through a little bit of that test. Mm. And it's pretty darn cool, though. How many people can you point to who've had the level of fame and success that you've had who come through and reach for and found real joy and started serving it out, started just handing it out to people around the world. That's what you've been doing. It's pretty phenomenal. Well, I love everything you're saying. And it's very Jungian, this whole idea of the shadow. And I think it's really important for people on this path and doing this work to acknowledge that shadow. Like you say, we have a dark sides of ourselves and that we can't just pretend it doesn't exist and just live in a land of like lalas and flowers and, right. and fairies. We have a dark side. We can have an ego and desire and envy and lust. And the journey is not obliterating those. The journey is coming to peace with those yeah. and seeing those and shining a light on those forces in ourselves. So it's, I'm always pessimistic of the idea of like just being optimistic and looking on the bright side and just being positive because although it's important to generate positive thought process, we have to live in peace with our shadow side. You know, it has to do with Joseph Campbell and a mythological journey and that in Star Wars, that part of the journey is you're in the dark cave face to face with your biggest fear. You know, for Luke Skywalker, that's that vision of Darth Vader in that cave that he has on the planet with Yoda, you know, but then we learn and grow and mature by going through that and not by sweeping it under a carpet. No, that's so beautiful. So speaking about more in this, in this book, this is so much of it, but then you sort of, you posit this beautiful idea that we could have a spiritual revolution. What does that look like to you? If you could be king for the day and, and design the world, what would a spiritual revolution look like in this world? That's my favorite question of all time. And I love, <laughs> I love answering that question. Thank you very much. This is the whole reason why I wrote the book. I feel like society, the way it's currently framed, the way it's currently built, the way the systems currently work, is based on the very worst of our human impulses. You think about don't tread on me and live free or die. Our foundation of our country is based on kind of the worst impulses of capitalism, of greed, one-upsmanship, materialism. We talked about accruing more stuff, that happiness will be given to us the more stuff we accrue, that one-upsmanship, dog-eat-dog, stabbing each other in the back, survival of the fittest, this whole way of, of being, it's part of our DNA as humans, no question. All you have to do is go visit the La Brea Tar Pits and you're like, <laughs> oh, look, some of the earliest inhabitants of North America were like bashing each other in the skull with clubs. You know, like it's part of our DNA, yes. But we also have another story to tell humanity. We're cooperative. We're consultative. We create community. We can love each other. We can support each other. We can help each other move forward. And humanity has also done that over the eons, but we don't look at that aspect of humanity. So I talk a lot about the mental health crisis that we're currently going through, especially with young people. It's so devastating, the anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicidal ideation, and actual suicide from young folks is just terrible. And there's so many pandemics going on in the world. There's, you know, climate change, racism and income inequality. The list goes on and on. And there's so many broken systems, you know, healthcare systems broken, education, agriculture, military, any system that you can possibly right. think of is broken because at its core, it is founded on these terrible, aggressive impulses of humanity. Yeah. So we have to stop thinking in terms of band-aids, in terms of fixing the world. You know, let's take the political system. People think, oh, we just need to have more Supreme Court justices, or we need to stop gerrymandering, or we need to stop all these endless donations to the political parties. And once we fix that, then everything will get better. Well, no, because mm -hmm. partisan politics is corrupt because yep. it's based on venal power-seeking. 
So we have to kind of unravel and unpack the fact that the systems of the world are based on these really faulty, corrupt systems that will only divide us more and more. So I talk about this, the subtitle of the book, Soul Boom, is why we need a spiritual revolution. And so I write a lot about this, and then I want to leave us with hope, right? And we can make the world a better place, and we should make the world a better place. And the number one thing that we need to stop is pessimism. And I say, what are the seven pillars for a spiritual revolution? And number one is foster joy and squash cynicism. That's something that you do, you've done on the show, you've done on this episode, but it's so important. It sounds obvious and kind of like, oh, that's kindergarten or it's Sunday school. No, it is, it's transformative. We can spread joy and we can squash that cynicism in ourselves. If we are pessimistic and cynical, things go on just the way that they've gone on for the last several decades. And in fact, they get worse and worse. The forces of injustice want us to be cynical. They want us to be pessimistic. If we don't bring hope and feel hope and access hope, we can never make change. So I remember I had this acting teacher, this very famous director named Andre Gregory. He was the focus of the movie, My Dinner with Andre, which is a classic. You know, the whole movie is a conversation at dinner between two people. And he would have tea with his students sometimes. And I had tea with him and he's like, how are you feeling? And I, and I said, well, you know, I'm feeling kind of pessimistic. I'm feeling kind of down in the gills. I feel like, you know, I don't know if change is possible and I'm feeling kind of depressed about it. And Kathy, he grabbed my arm hard. He was in his seventies at the time. I think he's in his nineties. Now He grabbed my arm hard. He looked in my eyes and he was like, stop it. Don't let yourself do it. Don't feel cynical. If you're pessimistic and cynical, they win. You want them to win? You have to keep hope alive. You have to stay positive. It's your charge. I mean, he really was hurting my arm. I was like, ow. And he sent me out the door with that charge. And wow. I saw things differently after that point. Now, there's a lot more specifics we could get into, but that's a good starting point. for oh, the revolution. That was so beautiful. And I love how you laid out, you know, yes, human beings can be all of these things that are very negative and divisive, but we can also be cooperative and we can also be so kind. And mm. Dr. Arthur Brooks was just here from, he runs the positive psychology department at Harvard. And he also happens to be a devout Catholic inside of Harvard where like God consciousness is not necessarily the coolest thing. And he's such a beautiful human being. And he was talking about this research that they have that unequivocally shows that people prefer other care to self-care, that the mm. way we're wired is that we actually get a biological upgrade and a psychological upgrade when we do kindness for other people, when we give money away, hold the door for people. And so I love that data because that shows that that really is how we're wired. And so don't give in. You, They do win when you give in. I guess one of my questions is, you know, I know one of your friends or frenemies, John Krasinski during the pandemic did that good news network. You know, he mm. was, and I feel like I would say to friends of mine, we live in LA, like, why can't that be like, stop it already? Like, why are we watching these, these like black holes of garbage, CNN and Fox news and all it's just so, so it's so bad for our nervous system, right? Why can't mm. that be it? And, and he said, my friend in Hollywood, he's like, nobody really would watch that. And I'm like, but it's, what do you mean? People like watching it. And he said, because it's not bold and salacious enough and people like drama. And I'm like, but that's so patronizing. That's so patronizing because people loved it. So I guess, I mean, you're in this world. You are literally in this world of creating content that is beautiful and sweet, right? How do you think we make that more prevalent? How do you think each of us can do that in our own little worlds, in our living rooms, in our own communities? Because when you go to dinner with a friend, people say, what's the tea? Give me some scoop. You know, those are the stories people tell. But it's even more interesting to tell sweet things. It's even more interesting, right? And so I guess I'm saying, what have you learned about that and how we can lean into that without feeling like it's cheesy, but it's actually compelling. It's actually juicy, right? To focus on that stuff. I'm just so curious how, because I would love to see that that's more of what we're all thinking about and looking at and focusing on. Yes. So 
at our most basic and base human instinct, we want the salacious, right? And being outraged is part of that. And our whole media system is set up on outrage. If you just open any news page, a news aggregator, uh. it's going to have something that is going to make you want to click on it because you're like, oh, I can't believe that. Right. And because our media system is, again, based on this capitalist idea of it, you know, making a lot of money through advertisements and click-throughs, it needs you to click. So that is an easy, simple way to get you to click. There is, however, another impulse that needs to be cultivated and trained, and that is people really wanting to build community and cooperate with one another. We yeah. felt that after 9-11, yeah. where people came together in horror and disgust and shock at what had happened and seeking community and healing with one another. We felt that during the early days of the pandemic. Remember people clanging the pots and pans in New York to thank the frontline workers that, that were so saving sweet. lives. It was so beautiful. And that can be nurtured. That can be cultivated and actually, some of the most shared stuff on the web is inspiring and uplifting stuff. So I had a company for a long time called Soul Pancake. I know. It's the sweetest. And it was it was an inspiring media company. And our business model was to make the world a better place and provide media. And guess what? We had a billion video views, over 3,000 pieces of content. Like there's audiences out there for this. But it takes more work and it's a little bit more difficult. I'll give you a story as an example. One of our shows on Soul Pancake was called My Last Days. It was created by the great filmmaker, actor, Justin Baldoni. And it was about people at the end of their lives and what life lessons they had now that they were facing their own mortality. Sounds dark. Sounds a little scary. Sounds depressing. Not depressing at all. Super uplifting. Joyful even. We went and pitched it as a TV show around L.A., and I'll never forget, we went into MTV and we gave them our little spiel and our slideshow. And then we're like, we want to show you up a, a sizzle reel. They call it like a, a three minute, four minute, like best of, of the show. And we want to show this to you. And so we put it on, we darkened the lights and there's three or four executives there and we showed them and then the lights came up and they were sobbing. I think three or four executives were crying with joy, just like moved. Their hearts were moved. They were tears, literal tears, not metaphorical, literal wet stuff on their faces from tears. And immediately they were like, we're so sorry. No, we can't buy this show. It's too depressing and we'll never get advertisers to want to advertise on a show about death. I'm so sorry. I'm like, but you were just crying. This affected you. You see, it's very entertaining. It's actually uplifting. Like, Sorry. And where's MTV now? Like no one watches MTV. It doesn't even exist as a viable business model because they were afraid to take risks and they were afraid to kind of tell stories that are uplifting and could bring people together in refreshing and, and new ways. And that's typical of how Hollywood works. So. We need the outliers. And fortunately, there's a lot of like podcasters and social yeah. media stars and yeah. YouTubers that are the ones filling in that gap and trying to create community and provide positive content. Yeah, I love that. And I know Justin, he's a friend and he's amazing and yeah. such an exquisite human being. And in 2007, I created a TV show with Lisa Henson, Jim Henson's daughter, and it was called mm. Peaceful Place. And it was all about teaching mindfulness to kids. And we made puppets and I, I'm a songwriter. So I wrote all this music and oh. we, went, we went to Disney and Sprout and PBS. And in the end of the end, they were like, you know what? We have the show called Yo Gabba Gabba and I don't see this working. You know, we were just like, all right. But I think what's cool is like you just said, you know, there's so many people because there's been this great democracy now with content, right? It's like, yeah. it's anyone. And also what about your own neighborhood? Like, are there six people? Like if, if I learned anything from yep. soul pancake, it's like, could I feel a little bit more whole by just saying hello and telling the postman that like, I'm actually really appreciative of him. I mean, there's just, there's such low hanging fruit every day. If we knew that our riches came from 
you could touch seven people today. You could pay for the person's Starbucks behind you. You'd get such a boost out of that. And the people who saw you do it would get an even bigger boost. Like if you just know what's there. And I think I just want to say thank you because I can think of like four people in the whole world who have radically shown us that that's possible. And you're one of those four people and you do it with no agenda and the most genuine joy. And it's making a, a giant impact. And as much as we can be uh, confused when we watch the news, if you actually turned it off and you look at just the people you meet throughout your day, they're all this close from a smile. Like in the day to day, it's like people just want to connect. People yeah. just want to be friends. And you are such an amazing ambassador of this. So I love that you wrote this book. I think you are creating that spiritual revolution, whether you're aware of that or not. I think you are. I'm friends also with Brad Montague. And because of you, like you gave his work so much life. And this is giant, a billion views. Like this is crazy talent, but it's Mm. not just in all the views. It's in all the ripple effects of every day that you live here and how many people you're present with and the way you say their names and all of that. It's going a very long way. And uh, we all want to be a part of your spiritual revolution. So thank you for writing this book. Yes. Thank you so much for your kind words. And, you know, the book, I don't have a whole lot of answers. It's more posing a lot of questions, but I think it's a discussion that we can all engage in and it's super important. But just going along to what you said there, I just want to say one last thing, which is one of these seven pillars for a spiritual revolution is it's grassroots, baby. And I think that we can feel overwhelmed that all of these broken systems that I mentioned before, but we can always invite our neighbors over you know, for lemonade. We can always pay for someone's drink at a Starbucks. We can always go on meetup.com or next door and find a place to volunteer in our neighborhood. We can help build community at a local school or a local church or synagogue or meditation place or yoga studio. And everyone can be a part of very small efforts toward bringing people together. And that's a great place to start. I think that's so it. I think that's so it. And I just want to tell you this really fast, which is that a friend of mine, because I know how much you love beautiful things and this will touch your heart. A friend of mine wanted to start doing good stuff. So she was like, the next person who tells me about an opportunity, I'm just going to say yes. So her friend said there was this thing called NODA, no one dies alone. She's like, well, that's a big one. He said, you can volunteer to go to the hospital and sit with people when they die who don't have friends or family. So she said, okay. And so she did it a couple of times. And she appreciated the experience. So she did it a third time. And this is what happened last week. She said, you won't believe this. I was so moved to tears by this old man who passed away. Couldn't stop crying, you know, was there with him, holding his hand, stroking his head, feeding him ice chips. And I called my mother and said, I can't get over this. I'm just so tortured. and I have such grief for this man I never knew. And the mother said, what's his name? And she doesn't know why she asked what's his name. And she told her. And the mom was quiet on the other side of the phone. And the mother said, that man was the OBGYN who delivered you. Oh, my God. She said, he brought you into this world. And she said, do you remember I told you when you were born, you went to the NICU and that doctor was so instrumental. Oh, my God. She said, look how it turned out that you got to be there to repay him, to help him oh exit. And that's so beautiful. Rain, I just tell you that story because you deserve to hear stories like that every day because you've bumped into those spiritual synchronicities so often because yeah. instead of deliberating, you just go do the next right thing. And what a gift that those things are right there available for us all the time. And holy smokes, does that change the world? Like trying to tackle it from this giant, like partisan, it's like, oh my gosh, good luck, you know, but the way you've been doing it and we can all do that. Yeah. So we're all connected. The separation is an illusion. And that's just amazing. That story just reminds me of you more than anyone else. It reminds me of you. Yeah. All right. Tell us where we can buy the book. You can buy the book at a bookstore. Soul Boom. Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution it's out uh, April 25th. But thank you so much. It was so thank such you a so joy much. speaking with you. And keep on with your bad self. You keep on. I'll stop. Thank you so much. You're the best. Thanks, Catherine.
Thank you. I love chatting with Rain. He is such a gift of a human. By the way, if you haven't seen the recent viral video of him on the airplane, you probably need to see that because it's hilarious. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, there is a divine work in the creation of art. It's emulating that divine impulse. It's bringing joy and inspiration and uplift, which is a service to others. Number two, no matter what our role is, we can always try and make the world a better place. We can bring healing, light, love, and connection. Number three, the journey is not obliterating our dark side. The journey is coming to peace with it and shining a light on those dark forces in ourselves. We have to live at peace with our own shadow side. We learn and grow and mature by going through that, not by sweeping it under a carpet. Number four, we have another story to tell humanity. We're cooperative. We create community. We can love each other. We can support each other. We can help each other move forward. Number five, foster joy and squash cynicism. We create change when we bring hope. We feel hope. We access hope. You have to keep hope alive. You have to stay positive. It's your charge. Number six, we can always invite our neighbors over for lemonade. We can always pay for someone else's Starbucks or volunteer or build a community. Everyone can be a part of a very small effort towards bringing people together. And number seven, separation is just an illusion. We are all connected. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. I never take it for granted. We have so many good episodes that are coming up. I know you always hear me say that, but it's true. We have so many good episodes coming up. So please make sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you're a fan of what we do, please leave us a rating and a review because it helps other people find the show. And if you can think of one person who would appreciate this podcast, please send them the link. You could text it to them, you could email it to them, or you could post about this on your Instagram and you could tag Rain Wilson and let them know how much you appreciated it. But please share the show because it helps so much for us. But I think also these conversations really truly help other people. And so I want them to be shared. Last thing, if you want to join my free five-day workshop, it starts May the 8th. You can sign up at kathyheller.com slash abundant. And we're going to talk about all things manifesting, all things creating abundance in your life, You are going to love it. I can't wait to see you there. I love you. I'll leave you with a song of mine. Have an amazing weekend.